Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello everyone, welcome to part two of the Stompcast. Right, well in this part, let's delve into that kind of, I think, I think it's the crossroad analogy kind of. Is mm. it like or the fork in the road where yeah. you come to a point in life, go back to when you were young, you were kind of speaking to the shampoo bottle and presenting to present and you talked about wanting your kind of dream job in, in sport. You know, you're literally the pinnacle really, let's be frank, yeah. with you know the BBC and the Champions League and everything like that. And then you took this decision to move away from that. Can you just talk it through with us? And then I'd really, what I'd like to do is come out of this part with a clear idea of, you know, at that kind of almost, I said in part one, the at what cost? And mm. when do you decide that actually it's time to change? Yeah. Um, yeah, it feels kind of, I was actually really relaxed with that change um, after it happened and towards the back end of 2023. And actually, I was driving to school on Tuesday, taking the kids back for the start of term. And this is, you know, six months since I hosted my last TV show. And I found a tear, like, running down my cheek. And I was like, why am I suddenly mourning for a, a lost thing here? And like, why am I suddenly so bothered about it? And I guess, you know, I'm now 45, right? A, I, young, I don't, a young fit man. Yeah. Very nice I, <laughs> I don't remember wanting to be on the telly as a young guy, even though people tell me that's what I was talking about. But I do remember when I failed my A-levels and went back to school and got a chance to be on the TV through a local TV channel wanting to use politics students, right? So if I'd have passed my A-levels, if I'd passed my politics GCSE at A-level, it would never have been an issue. I would have just gone yeah. to uni and everything That's else would have been history. crossroad moment though, yeah. isn't it? Like in your life, like what if you had a past? And what actually, that have do you know what? That was really helpful as well. For You know, you spoke in part one about my time on Formula One and how I dealt with the success there. I remember... Um, I remember my boss saying to me, I was given a one-year contract, right, when I got the Formula One job, and I thought it was going to be the big payday my career had been waiting for in my, like, late 20s, and they offered me what I was earning on kids' telly plus 10 grand. I've never told anyone that before. That's <laughs> wow. what they offered me. I'd assume it would be, like, be like this huge paycheck. And I remember thinking, well, I think I said to them, I said to the guy at the time, I said, well, my kids' TV wage plus 10 grand, I mean, look, you know, it wasn't no money at all, it wasn't nothing, but it wasn't what the previous sure. presenter was getting or what the presenter will be getting now. And I remember saying, um, is that fair? And they said, well, you're going to say no? And I was like, well, of course I'm not going to say no. I'm going to take it. So, so I did that. So it was never going to change my life initially. And they offered me a one-year contract. And the boss at the time said to me, people will make their mind up about you in the first minute. So don't fuck that bit up. Oh, Jesus, it doesn't sound very healthy. It sounds very quite, like, even just the opposite, it doesn't sound very healthy uh, environment. environment. No, it, it felt honest. like it was at the time. Toxic Probably sound. in 2024, you'd reflect on it and say maybe there were things that weren't totally healthy. Perhaps I mean, better ways to yeah, do it than that. Like the, the person that, or the people that gave me that job, I have huge gratitude and respect for because they did change my life. Like, they did take a chance on me. Um, and I'm forever grateful for that. And I really, I really respect them for that. 
But no, it probably, there probably were better ways to phrase it than that. But what it actually meant, right, was that when I was standing in the pit lane in Australia, and when you're hosting something, you're, you're a good distance away from the production yeah. team in the production office, so about two it or three kilometres. It makes my heart going when you're saying <laughs> it. actually is making my heart imagining that moment. And David live. Coulthard and Eddie Jordan, who were my pundits, one. they were like 20 yards away, and the plan yeah. was for me to come in and walk towards them. So yeah. I'm standing like on my own, like I'm in this park now. Yeah. No one else around, because the crew couldn't be near me because the camera was like a bit of a distance away, and all they were all behind the camera. So I'm standing on, totally still, on my own, two really well-known Formula 1 figures over there, in a Formula 1 pit lane, at a Formula 1 race, having just been given this incredible opportunity, and suddenly down my earpiece I hear, boom, ba ba boom, ba 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 and I was like, my heart would have just gone. We're on air. And the, the bit for me was when the, the PA who was counting, she said, um, hi network, it's, it's Melbourne, Australia here, we're going to be live in one minute, and I thought, I'm the guy from a little village in Norfolk. I'm going to be live on BBC One in one minute. And as that music began, do you know what helped me? A voice in my head said, you're only here because you failed your A-levels. That was really good for me because it almost felt like fate. It was almost felt like it had to be. And I used to do this thing from that, and that calmed me. And from that moment on, every single time I went on air, really for the whole time I did F1 because it was more technically challenging than doing the football, with about 10 seconds left, the, you know, lovely Hannah who's a peer would go on air in 10 I'd go and just let all of the anxiety go and just sort of say look just trust yourself here because you're only here because you failed your A-levels and that worked for me every single time I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started You know what? That's that is such a powerful story and analogy, really, to use. It's kind of like almost a sense of like whether you believe in fate or not. It's like I'm here for a reason, mm. and I'm here. So let's yes. just fucking do it, yeah. basically. Like, and also let's just do going it. into that like red brain yeah. and allowing that to take over and being anxious and nervous and worrying about what's going to happen. What 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 is that going to serve? It doesn't help. What good is that going to do for me? It's only going to make things worse. They can only exactly, be worse. Exactly. Exactly. So. Um, yeah, what was I, so yeah, we were talking about like how I got into presenting and everything. And, and when I was first starting out and I was like really keen to be brilliant at it on children's BBC and I used to look at other people's scripts and see how many words they had and how many links they had. And like there was a real like cat fight at children's BBC over who's on the CBBC channel, who gets BBC two, who gets BBC one, who's the, like, what's the pecking order? And there was constant showreels getting sent to the office because everyone wanted to be a kids TV presenter, right? So I guess you, I learned there as well that you can't control all this stuff, man. You just have to do the best you can every single day 
And the other thing I learned in that time was personal relationships are really important. You know, the boss that's making the decision is probably going to make a different decision if he doesn't know me or doesn't like me or has an issue with me. So difficult to work with. So let's just let's be really nice to work with and get to know everyone and also try and understand what they do and the challenges that they've got going on in their lives. So I went through all of that when I was on kids TV. It helped me when I got to Formula One. But I suppose that for the last few years at BT Sport, doing high performance really sort of changed things for me. You know, being on the telly was no longer the technical challenge that it was previously. And Is that because you feel that point, you know, and you're a very humble sort of person, but you've kind of mastered that craft, yeah. right? You've done it for a long time. Yeah. You are like, so that's, what is it, 100 hours, 1,000 hours, whatever it is, 10,000 yeah, hours. 10, hours you, yeah, You've done, you've mastered yeah. that craft, right? I felt like it. So there was a bit of thrill loss there. But also, high performance felt so driven by purpose. You know, I felt like I'd finally found my voice at the first time. You know, like, the ch- I had a few, those challenges when I was younger, the A-levels were, um, were not great, failing my A-levels wasn't great, getting fired from McDonald's wasn't ideal. You know, I know that you had, you know, you, lo- you lost your brother who mm. took his own life. My grandma did the same thing when Gosh, I was a teenager. Sorry. And, you know, that's a challenge. It's like, that's your grandma. Like, why would you do that? You've, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you had similar emotions. Yes, You're like, sure. I'm, I'm not even I was enough to keep yeah. you... Here, do you know what I'm saying? Those yeah, sorts of things gosh, were, yeah. were a challenge that at age that time. That tough as well. It was hard as a, as a teenager, gosh, right? It yeah. doesn't compare to losing your brother, obviously, but uh, you know, it, was, hard, it, was, it, it was a challenge. And so there'd been like a number of these like hard and sort of challenging moments growing up. And, I, and that had lent me in towards how can I build a sort of a coat of armour around myself? And, how, and I think it make, when you go through challenges, it does make you more empathetic, it makes you more understanding, it makes you realise that mm. other people are dealing with things that you've got no idea about, right? To sonder, that's, that's that word, sonder, isn't it? Exactly, the awareness that beautiful. other people are going and, through things. And I didn't have the knowledge base or the maturity to talk about it when I was on kids' TV. It was also a different time, that was the early 2000s. This, this was not this a, shit just wasn't, wasn't discussed. There, was, it wasn't talked about. And then I got the Formula One job and I had to just get that right because that was something that was going to determine my career. And then when I left that and went to BT Sport to do their Champions League and Premier League coverage, that was a brand new channel that had just been set up. And that was really the reason for taking the leap and going and doing that, is that how often do you get to launch a TV channel in your career? Mm. Like I was, when I joined, there was five people You did fantastically as well. I mean, like we, I just, I have such like clear, vivid memories of watching you presenting all that. I grew up, you know, football and Formula One was just our house. Yeah, I was love I'm a United fan for my, for my oh, so, uh, now you've ruined the whole thing. Uh, who do you support? No, I'm joking. Norwich City. Norwich City, of course. Yeah, of course. yeah we've got yeah, no rivals. Yeah, yeah, no one lives near us. We're both as rubbish as each other. Is that, at the moment, <laughs> we are. You're totally right. You're totally right. <laughs> it's the truth, isn't it? So in all truth this time, I had no, uh, no, no opportunity to talk in this way, right? Because when I, when I took the BD job, I remember one of my bosses, you know, not dissimilar to the F1, they, we were at a party and BT had paid like 650 million for the rights and a few hundred million more to set it all up. And he goes, he just went, you all right with a billion quid resting on your shoulders? And I was like, mate, if that's meant to help, that is not helping. And so then the job became about just delivering for BT and making sure that, you know, I, I kept the channel on air and grew it and, and did my thing. So there wasn't really an opportunity there to talk either. And I think it was only in lockdown, when I was back in Norfolk with my family, that I had the first opportunity really in 20 years to take a breath and think like, what is 
my purpose here. Because if it is just going on the telly and talking about sports results and talking about other people's achievements and, and not, not finding my own thing, has it been a waste of an opportunity? And I'd read a lot of self-help books from the sort of challenging teenagers. My first one I've read was Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by mm-hmm. Susan yeah, Jeffers. Yeah, great book. And I yeah. think I probably, for years, did feel the fear and do it anyway. And so I then thought, right, I'm going to do something that really, like, I really care about. And I did love this idea of, you know, I'd spent my life, I think, working in motorsport and football. In all honesty, Alex, like, never really gave a shit who won a race or who won a game of football. I just didn't care. What I loved was the human endeavour, the ability to be the best yeah. you can be, the opportunity to perform and let the noise melt away around yeah. you and stick a penalty in the back of the net. Like that flow state living, really, isn't it? That they're in that moment of just like they're like nothing else matters almost. Obviously, it does to Sam, but like they're just in that mindset at the highest yeah. level. Yeah, and I loved it, and I, that was really my my thrill of doing live sport, right? And so I thought, well, I'd love to do something about people that achieve great things, you know. So then I said to someone that I work with, I said, what about a TV show, you know, about spending time with really high-achieving individuals? And they said, well, I'm not sure it's a TV show, but it could be a podcast. And I felt, this is late 2019, I was like, I'm on mainstream telly doing Champions League and Premier League matches. Do I want to do something as niche and little as a podcast? I was like, I don't think that's really my thing. Like, I didn't really fancy it. And then I called Fern Cotton, who was a friend of mine from Kids Telly, and asked her about Happy Place. She said it's the best thing she's ever done. She said, I feel... She loves that, doesn't she? This is my thing. I found my calling. So I thought I'd give it a go. And my goodness, mate, I loved it. But the problem was... Not such a little thing now, is it? No, it's not quite (laughs) so little. It's not. You were saying before about the thing you don't know what's to come. It's like Mm. you'd never... Like, not in a negative way. Obviously, you would have been successful in it. But, like, like, look how big podcasts are now. Yeah. I mean, look at the space they occupy, the respect yeah. that the podcasts occupy. People oh, often go to podcasts story. now to learn the kind of commanding almost yes. element of podcasts. So it's fascinating, isn't but, it? Because you made that decision to go into it. And yes. Look, look what's happening I think it almost helps, though, that, that I, I thought that it wouldn't amount to much. Mm. Because therefore it wasn't about it being successful. Fine, it was just yeah. about it being purpose-driven. I'm actually enjoying it. <laughs> Mate, well. absolutely. Like, I'm just going to enjoy this. Finding a conversation that I love. And, and so as, I, as that grew and as it became more part of my life it started to consume me completely you know and I I was thinking why am I kind of slightly disillusioned with sports broadcasting and why am I obsessing about my podcast what the hell is going on here like I'm a tv presenter this is weird I shouldn't be feeling like this I grew up doing this job I've spent years honing my craft I've done the biggest shit you can do what's happening here and I think it was me finding purpose which then meant that football presenting had less and less purpose and then I started to really struggle with the kind of the vitriolic, aggressive world of football. You know, like people having a pop at me for my presenting or having a go at the pundits every time we went on air. One of the co-commentators would be trending on Twitter and they say it doesn't bother them. But you'd see them and you'd know it's bothering them. You know they see the comments. And, We've and seen the these... stuff that even lately, obviously, with the women's Mate, football comments. It's like you see it think, I'd really hate to be part of that because yep. it's just like, what is going on? Who's just, benefiting? Oh, that sort just, of... It becomes really Jeez. nasty. Like Twitter, The t- growth of Twitter seems to have driven quite a lot of stuff yep. as well. They're almost like 
they think, it, you know what, I don't even know if people think that much about it. They just kind of brain engage, type something horrible, bam, it's out there. And, and it's also totally love to be unique on it. to Twitter. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this shit's not happening anywhere else. If Twitter didn't exist, there'd be no platform for these people. Well, you don't see it stuff. as much on places like t- uh, Instagram and stuff like that because no. of the community element, that there is a bit more community policing, mm. i.e. like, you're going to say it, you know, Twitter, you put it out there and it just rolls yeah. and there's the anonymity. But in, at least on Instagram, to some extent, you're saying it to a community of... 100,000, a yep. million, 2 million people who are going to judge your extreme nasty comment. They're yeah. going to say something to you, probably, which people don't yeah. like. People don't like being called, I, called out. I think for me, right, it was the slow grind of feeling like everything you do gets criticised, that people don't see the bigger picture, but they still feel free to have an opinion. And, all, and you know, that gleeful thing of, you know, you do something and it would start to trend and then people are on there and your name is getting ever more talked about because everyone's going, I love this pylon. Yes, I love this smug fucking wanker off the TV. Let's dive on and get him. And you're thinking, you don't know me. You don't know how I feel. You don't know whether I'm confident, smug, arrogant or not. You're just assuming that because I'm on the TV. And eventually I thought, I'm not sure I need this really. So all these thoughts were like washing around in my head. And then BT got bought out by another company and I had a couple of meetings with the senior people there. And I could sense that I was the main guy and always had been since the channel began. The channel was changing its name. And I just felt like there was this feeling of, do they think that if they change the main host, then the whole thing changes? So that was combined with, I've done 10 years. My podcast is growing at a rate where I can't keep up. I feel like football is no longer serving me in the way that it used to, or TV presenting is no longer serving me in the way that it used to. So maybe it's time to make a change. And then the other two thoughts that I popped in my head was, I will never know if I don't have a go, right? How can I ever do something new if I just keep on doing what I've always done? So that was the first thing that I kept thinking about. And then the other thing was that like, change is hard, right? Change is challenging. Change is daunting, change is scary, but none of it is as scary as still doing something thinking this isn't right. And in all honesty, I could have done that forever. And I could have felt for the rest of all time, this isn't quite right for me. It's that compound interest, the fact of delayed pain. It's like, okay, making a change here might be quite painful in the moment and scary. And the current pain I'm in doesn't feel so painful as that. So I'm going to sit in it. But if you sit in it for 10 years, that's 10 years of compound interest pain, which is far greater than that ripping off the plaster. And let's just try this. Let's just go. And like most of the time as well, it's like if you'd have done the podcast and, and, and not enjoyed it, let's be real, you'd have been straight back on whether it's Scar A or whatever it would have been. You've got all the credibility, everything you've done. So sometimes, again, our fear holds us back in an irrational way, because let's yeah. be honest, you would have been, you're not going to be struggling to get back on and, and present. So, yeah, it must have been, you know, despite all that, it must have been kind of scary at that point, going, right, I'm making a change. But what did people say around you? You know, f- family, but also, you know, you, you work with top people around in, in a football yeah. commentating. What were people saying to you? They're like, oh, hold on, mate, Jake, don't do this. Like, you know, go steady now. This they, podcasting um, business. People either got it or didn't, which I know sounds like a stupid thing to say because it's obvious, right? But I think the people that understand me really well and understand the podcast space and understand that you can now, you know, create an entire brand without needing television, right? Without needing to be on mainstream. You know, someone like Joe Wicks, for example, has built that entire brand without ever needing a BBC One Saturday night TV show. So I was, 
I was kind of insulated by the fact that we'd built this amazing community on high performance that are incredibly supportive and love what we do and, you know, stick by us. So that was internally, that was quite calming. My, my mum and dad were a bit like, are you serious? Because, you know, they were kind of reticent when I left the BBC to join BT Sport. They were like, well, what are you joining? There's nothing there, you know. And they are naturally probably more risk averse than me. And also I'm their son, right? It doesn't matter whether I'm 45 or five. Like they are just like, is our son going to be okay? So they, they were sort of making sure that I was asking various questions. The guys that I work with and the female pundits, male pundits, producers, all of them, um, they were kind of just really encouraging and supportive and they actually quite liked the podcast. So I think they thought it was a good move. Um, they're probably glad to see the back of me. Um, <laughs> Can it move out the way so someone else yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and I suppose the, the other interesting point is I couldn't believe the amount of people that afterwards were saying to me, well, what are you going to do on the TV next? What are you going to do now? What's the next plan? And it's like, why does there, yeah. like, I mean, you know, have you heard of Alain de Botton? No, really good guy, no. philosopher, really clever. He came on high performance. And it was just after I'd left, I said that this was going on, and I said to him, why do you think everyone is saying to me, um, what are you, uh, you going to do next? Why, why is this the question? And he said to me, what you should reply with is, why is my newfound freedom so threatening for you? Because I think that a lot of people are asking the question in terms of, I wish I could make that decision and go and do my own thing and find some, and find some freedom. I also think it's actually been really good for high performance because while I had a plan B, which was TV presenting, it was easy to just go, oh, well, I'm just going to focus on something else now. Whereas this is it, right? So don't fuck it up, Jake, right? Mm. So that, that means I lean into it and I, and I go, you know, Give I go hard to make it a success. It? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you're doing quite a success of that. <laughs> doing pretty well. Thanks so, to no one. Doing pretty well. So I guess as we come to the end of part two then, what is your kind of, if you look back on this, step out a little bit, look at that journey, how do you feel about, you know, because you were saying, well, oh, I actually didn't, didn't feel like I had my purpose towards the done days yeah. of football. How do you kind of view the whole journey? Now? Are you glad that you've gone through all the things you've done to be where you are now? Is there any elements of, of, of regrets? Or is it like, no, no, this is part of the process of being me here mm. now? No, there's no element of regret. Um, I think that what that journey has taught me is that just because something is hard for you doesn't mean it's bad for you. And I think that's a really good understanding for people because um, we assume that hard is bad and actually sometimes it can be hard, but... So, and sometimes, let's be frank, sometimes things need to be painful. Yep. Sometimes you've got like, you know, therapy is hard, therapy is painful, but sometimes you've got to go through something that's painful and difficult. It's kind of like, I guess, a lot of people might, um, you know, a similar analogy or situation, I guess, would be like relationships. If you're in a relationship that's not working and it's not right, just staying in a relationship because it's the easier, less painful, immediate option yeah. is not the right answer. We all know that to be true, don't we? You've got to make that decision there and then. Is it right or not? Go with your gut and make the decision. So, so true. Unbelievable. So, well, we'll come to the end of part two there. Thank you so much for, for sharing that um, and being so open about it as well. Like, it's, it's so powerful. People, you know this to be true as well. When you share your own experiences and stuff or, you know, really open about things, people can then truly relate. When you have like that kind of shield behind it, like, and not be raw and not be vulnerable, like the level of ability to connect with people is less. So thank you so much for I've always been there. like that with doctors. <laughs> good, a good idea, I'd yeah, say, yeah. I, I do so. wish, that's one thing I'd say, yeah, there's a tip. Please, when you go and see a doctor, tell them everything. Like, there's nothing worse. And, and also, people often tell you the most important, like, 
point or something. They should yeah. have told you. Well, as one other thing, room. Doctor. Yeah, by the way, Doctor, I have been having this yeah, weird yeah. heart pain that's been going on. I'm like, wait, <laughs> start reverse. <laughs> Let's start again. Um, so on that, uh, on that note, uh, we'll see you all in part three very shortly. Thank you and goodbye. 